What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in and checking out the first official episode of the Hustle the Most podcast. I'm your host, Wes, and today we're going to talk about what does it mean to hustle the most. Everyone generally knows what it means to hustle, to have your hustle, to be hustled, to be hustling, uh, but it's really about getting stuff done and making moves and making things happen. Hustle the most is really about having irons in the fire and working hard and kind of making moves to get stuff done. It's about thinking on your feet, problem solving, lessons learned, and overall just making things happen. So since this is the first official episode of the Hustle the Most podcast, I want to give you guys just a little background on me and tell you a little bit more about why I'm doing the podcast and what I hope to get out of it and what I hope others get out of it. And so basically, the you know, I'm a designer, drummer, entrepreneur. Uh, I spent my most of my 20s touring the world, playing in rock and metal bands. And, you know, I was on tour a lot, spending a lot of time uh, away from home. I've lived in a handful of different places around the world. And I think when I was at home, I was always trying to be creative in some capacity. I was always designing something, creating something, building something, whatever it was. And, you know, I had taken a lot of, a lot of time out to kind of hone some skills and craft some skills. Uh, I went to school eventually for industrial design and got a bachelor's in industrial design. Made me official. I guess if you have a paper that makes you something official. Um, so it's pretty cool. The, uh, you know, now I work as a designer and I get to do all kinds of crazy projects. And I think that one of the things that I really want to, to relay in this podcast is I've done something which I think a lot of people have done as well, but I, I feel that it doesn't always get expressed is that I've done this thing where I've actually taken most of the skills that um, I've learned at other jobs and I've put them all toward this job that I'm working now. And so, I mean, it's a job, it's my career, this is my life. So I think that if you've ever read a job description in your life that looked almost too perfect for you, almost like one of your friends went on the internet and, and created the job description and emailed it to you under a fake company just so you would see it and get so excited that you couldn't believe that someone was looking for these skill sets and you happen to have all the skill sets required. Uh, it's pretty cool. So um, my job now is something I love and I, I can't even imagine not going to work every day and it's fantastic. Um, aside from running a couple other startup companies, which I do kind of on the side, um, I think it's about creating and always designing, always moving forward, always solving problems. Um, you know, this is, this is it. This is, this is hustling. So if you have a side hustle, if you have a, a day job and you want to create something to fulfill a need for creativity or supplement income or just have a hobby, uh, I think this is a, a cool place to definitely get some insights and understand some parts and pieces about how you could potentially do it, how you can be successful, how you will fail, and how you will pick yourself back up and move forward over and over again. This podcast series is really a series of stories and some featured guests that will come in and talk about all things hustle, heart, design, innovation, motivation. There are a lot of successes that you're going to get to hear, which is going to be awesome. There are also a lot more failures that you're going to hear about. And those are the ones that really drive home. 
and give you the most amount of insights, like the things that you can learn the most from. So I grew up on the south side of Flint, Michigan. And in the late 80s, kind of early 90s, Flint was a pretty cool place to grow up. I feel like there was always something happening. In the early 80s, General Motors was like the main gig in town. So people were kind of still flocking to the city to work. Although I think that GM really peaked in like 78, I think was the, the hot number for them in a hot year. So um, there's always, there's still to this day, there's still new stores that open up all over the place. New restaurants always popping up, you know. Um, one would go down, one would close, whatever. Another one would open up right in its place or next door. Uh, it's pretty cool. I think that Flint's really gotten kind of a bad rap over the years, obviously, with the water stuff. And just, you know, whenever I would tell people that I was born in Flint, people would always ask. The first thing they would ask, they would say, oh, have you seen Roger and me? And if you guys don't know Roger and me, it's a Michael Moore documentary about Flint in the auto industry. So if you haven't seen it, it's, it's, it is pretty interesting to watch. But uh, that is the first thing that people think of uh, from coast to coast. I would meet people in California, Canada, uh, even parts of Europe. They would ask me about the Michael Moore documentary and about the auto industry in Flint, Michigan. It's pretty bizarre, actually. But I think the second question that people ask me the most is, you grew up in Flint. Was it scary growing up in Flint? That's, that's a huge thing that people always ask from all over the place. Uh, the real answer is not really. I think that when you live in a place that um, that's kind of all you know, that's, uh, that's all you know. It doesn't seem scary. It just kind of seems, it just kind of seems normal. And, uh, you know, like my friends, I remember like my friends and I would drive around um, some beat up cars. I mean, just kind of dusted out cars that we paid like, you know, a thousand bucks for. And we would put big speakers in them that, you know, cost more than the car. And I actually remember having a 82 Monte Carlo with two primer doors and an 84 Cavalier. I think it had a couple of Fieros at the time. These cars were just total gems. But I remember this, specifically this Monte Carlo that I had. I mean, we're talking the doors had rust in the bottom. Like you close it, it would kind of like rattle a little bit. But sure enough, the first thing my buddy Eric and I did was stripped out the trunk, primered it, painted it, sanded it down. Obviously not in that order. <laughs> Made it look really cool. And uh, we put speakers in it. We thought it was like, like the coolest thing. And, uh, you know, if you can get some rust to fall off your car because of your, uh, your subs are, are rattling, then you're doing something right, I think, in that arena. So it was pretty much a good, <laughs> pretty much a good time. But I lived with my dad in a pretty middle-class neighborhood, and a lot of my friends had parents that worked in the shop. Uh, this was GM. This, the locals knew it as the shop. That was just kind of how we called it. Uh, in fact, I think when I was little, kids that I went to school with um, didn't even know the name of the company that their parents worked at. They just knew that they worked in the shop. We would have career day or ask if your parents did, stuff like that. It's always, oh, my dad works in the shop. My mom worked in the shop. And everyone just kind of knew that it meant they worked at General Motors. My dad also worked in the shop for about nine years and just couldn't, couldn't handle it anymore. It wasn't for him. It's not a life for everyone. So some people it works great and they work there for 30 years and punch it and punch out and they're good to go. Um, some people just don't have that ability or that, uh, that gene in them to, to keep going in every day like that. So back to our house in our neighborhood. So our house was actually this three bedroom Cape Cod, uh, in a, it was in okay shape. I mean, minus the, the ceiling had caved in in a few different parts and the roof eventually gave way and they had water in the drywall and caused it all to, to come collapsing down one day. 
And uh, when it rained, it's funny, it was actually a, a kind of a scramble for us to get like buckets and pans to, to catch the water. And, you know, it's funny because you think that your friends and, and the people you kind of hang out with, uh, especially around our neighborhood, you kind of think that everyone is kind of on the same plane when it comes to, you know, just having stuff and being normal. We all kind of lived in the same neighborhood. But, you know, it's 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 interesting when your friends come into your house and they look up and they see the sky and where they would normally see a ceiling. It's kind of like, uh, what's going on here? And, you know, I mean, we were pretty poor and I mean, we're probably on the lower side of that middle class line. And, you know, we didn't have any money to, to fix it. So we just kind of work with what we had. And you know, my parents, you know, like of others, a lot of others were divorced and my dad's house was, uh, kind of like the place to be, uh, we all liked being there and it was a kind of a revolving cast of my older brothers and my sisters that kind of filtered in and out between our house and their mom's house and, you know, apartments that they might've had at the time. And, uh, we also always had people renting like an extra room or the basement in our house. And so usually a family member or a family friend, uh, when people fell on hard times, my dad was always that guy who was there to try to help them out and give them a, a place to stay and a roof over their head. It was pretty cool. But, you know, I really think that when you grow up poor, you really learn quick how to make it. You learn how to get creative. You learn how to get ingenuitive. And I'm, I mean, I'm talking about like, you know, selling drugs or, or, or making it that way or, or doing anything illegal or cr- crazy like that. But I'm just saying like you develop this new sense that you didn't have before that kind of just comes over you. And it's a learned behavior, 100% learned. And, you know, it's, it's that thought of how do I get things done with the tools that I have? I think that's a pretty relatable thought even, even to this day. You know, my career, I still think of how can I get the things done that I need to get done with the tools that are in my belt? And what does that look like? What does that feel like? Um, I like to think that when I was a kid, that this really forced me to be creative, ingenuitive, and really be quick on my feet. So when I was a kid, probably like 10 years old, uh, my dad had a booth at this flea market that my uncle ran. And this was like a 100,000 square foot, wide open space, just full of booths from one end to the other. You could buy everything in this place, everything you possibly imagine. This was around like 1988. So this place had everything from like switchblade combs to giant rolls of carpet. Like it was just, just absolutely cool and crazy. My dad's booth was the place to come if you needed a new or reconditioned car battery. Uh, I feel like car batteries back then were made a lot worse than they are today. Uh, you know, they're always dying on people. And, you know, we also lived in Michigan, so the winters here are pretty brutal. So I think brutal weather and, and crappy old car batteries is not an amazing combo. But my dad used to tell us kids when he started that business with 100 bucks, he would always tell us, I started the business with $100. I had a $100 bill. I started the business. Uh, you know, he switched around a couple different ways, but it was always about how he had $100 and how he started the business, and that's how we were able to eat, which I thought was pretty cool. He actually bought a bunch of used car batteries with good cores in them and a few chargers. He bought them at Sears, I think, the, the chargers at Sears maybe, or maybe he bought them used from a guy. I am not exactly sure. And uh, he would fill them with new battery acid and clean them up and sold them as reconditioned batteries. And this was cool because they're actually a little bit cheaper than a, than a new battery and it still worked just as well and would last 
for a long time, which is great. He would actually sell these to car lots and auctions, and he would go to his booth on the weekends, and he would sell them to people that came into the flea market. And the flea market was this, this place where a kid could totally run wild. And not just myself, there was other kids there kind of running around and being crazy. This is the place where I really learned to hustle and definitely how to get hustled. Because when you're 10 years old, I think people really go out of their way to sometimes teach you a lesson, especially in a, a place where everyone is, is seemingly pretty street smart, in a place like Flint. And uh, I think I was 10 years old, and I would go from booth to booth and just talk to everyone about anything and everything. Uh, sometimes I would literally start out my day with like $2. I would just kind of have $2 or you know, a dollar and some change and walking around in the, in the flea market. And I would end up the day with 10 bucks in like a bag of candy. And it's just all about, all about, that, all about that hustle and all about trade and stuff. It was, it was pretty crazy. Uh, you know, sometimes people would just kind of give me stuff that, at their booth and oh, they don't, things they don't want or, or things that, you know, they think I should have for whatever reason. I really don't know if people, was, people were giving me stuff because I was cute or, or poor or just homely looking or whatever. Uh, either way, they did. And it was, it was actually pretty awesome. So, uh, you know, everyone knew my dad at his booth. And so I'm sure at one time or another, he'd, you know, jumped their car or helped fix their car or bought something from him or he's you know he's bought something from them like the place was pretty communal which was really cool uh, I remember coming back to my dad's booth with a whole shopping bag after just being gone all day running around and I'd have this whole shopping bag full of stuff and my dad just being like where did you get all that stuff and I remember specifically looking him right in the in the eye and saying dad I'm just so cute people just give me stuff and it was partially true but uh I think that there was definitely some maybe some truth to it, but it was a little more, you know, uh, trading and, and swapping stuff probably than anything. But, you know, we got definitely our fair share of, of things for, for no reason. So um, I think at the, at the flea market, I really learned how to talk to people from kind of all walks of life. There were so many different kinds of people there. Such a crazy demographic. Um, sometimes people would just talk to me because I was there. And I'm just, you know, a 10-year-old kid on a slow day with not a lot of foot traffic. People are just excited to talk to someone, really anyone. And, uh, you know, the 10-year-old me would get in these crazy adult conversations about their day and, and things that they had bought or sold or maybe what was hurting on them that day. Maybe it was their ankle or their back or they just couldn't stand anymore. I think they just wanted to talk. And they wanted to talk to me because I was there. And that was awesome. I would literally sit in the booth and sometimes just gab away. Sometimes I would go and get people popcorn. Sometimes I'd grab them a tab soda. From the vending machine, yep, tab soda. That was '80s. That's a uh, that's a thing. And uh, it's funny, as customers would walk through the entire space, and they would see me behind like five different booths, kind of throughout the day as they're kind of roaming around. And I'm sure of it. They did. They probably had no clue like whose kid I was, and I was just this random floater uh, kid that used to hang out at the flea market. I think, all in all, like the flea market really shaped a lot of my kind of young personality. I probably spent about three years out there overall. I learned a lot about people and how to sell something to someone and how to assess values of things. I realized that junk to me might not be junk to you. And I, if I have it and you want it, there's always a deal to be made. I'm looking back at this, you know, 30 years later. And what are the things I learned from walking around the flea market as a 10-year-old kid? I mean, I think one thing I really learned is how to turn nothing into something. 
over and over and over again. Ten-year-old me having these crazy conversations with adults of all walks of life really taught me how to listen. And I realized something, and I didn't realize it till kind of later in life, that you can't learn anything while you're talking. Like, it's not possible. It's just not possible. So sometimes you just have to sit and listen and take it all in. Uh, Even grown adult me likes to sit in meetings sometimes and just listen and take it all in and get perspective and understand and create uh, empathy and understand the story. And I think that that's a a valuable skill uh, in any job you might have. And I think this kind of tacks on to listening a little bit in the sense that I think one thing I really learned is that you never really know someone's story. You never really know what that person's life or day was like before they entered that conversation with you. So if you take the time out to listen and understand their story, you have a much better chance of making connection with that person. And I think really the last thing I learned is that just because you start out with nothing doesn't always mean you'll end up with nothing. So I want to thank you for listening to the Hustle the Most podcast. This was episode one. Check out more stories, photos, and connect with us at hustlethemost.com. We'll see you on the next one.